1: Happy election day. Did you vote? Maybe you didn't because you've got kids and one of them got sick and you were late for work and your boss was pissed and then you had to leave anyway to take your kid to the doctor. Say ah! And then you had to catch up with all of your work when you got home. And then you passed out and you woke up early to the results and felt really guilty and like you let your democracy down. If you felt that way, you wouldn't be alone. Only about half of the country typically votes in presidential elections. This year's turnout is looking significantly better, maybe as much as 65% will vote, but a lot of them will have to deal with super long, socially distanced lines or deal with mail delays or worry about whether their ballot will really get counted. It is not hard to look at our elections and feel like we're doing things wrong. So since our team will be busy voting and watching results today, we're gonna to issue a reminder of how our elections could be better. We're gonna revisit our episode from the last big US election day, the 2018 midterms. On that November day, we took you to, of all places, Australia.
2: Election Day in Australia is always on a Saturday. We pioneered Saturday voting. We thought it would be more inclusive. It's a festive sort of occasion. It's usually held in schools. There are sausage sizzles. Sausage sizzles. Here they call it the democracy sausage. Democracy sausage,
1: the 2016 Australian word of the year. Polling stations have become much more than a place to cast your vote, with families and charities gathering for sausage sizzles and fundraisers at voting booths across Australia. Election happening, um, hot sausage and bread. Way to go, with some onion. It's the soundtrack of
0: Australia.
2: And we had a lady having two sausages for cats with extra sauce for her cat. <laughs> Every polling place, someone's serving sausages and serving them to people as they go in to vote or come out from wow. voting and it's just part of our routine. It's a barbecue, it's like a holiday occasion.
1: What if you're a vegetarian?
2: Oh, they always have a veggie burger, you know. <laughs> they have these websites beforehand that sort of advertise where they're gonna be and where the best sausage sizzles are going to be and stuff like that, or lentil burgers or whatever. You know, a lot of guys laugh at it. Friends go, you know, sausage competition, but it's it's a major part of your business. The queues aren't long. Australians will turn up in their bathing suits, literally just a speedo or their bikini. It's not like you have to get time off work or you, you have these long queues in the States. They're only in there for 10 minutes or something and then they're out.
1: It sounds really fun. What if you're elderly or you sprained your ankle and you can't make it to the party?
2: We have mobile polling, postal polling, we can have pre-polling, you can have assisted polling. So we've got electoral commissions here that are very well funded and they're also scrupulously independent. So their job is to maximise voting inclusion. Whatever, if you're approaching maternity they'll bring out... Voting papers to the hospital, I take them out to prisons, I take them out to remote areas so Indigenous people can vote. Fifteen electoral officers are crisscrossing the state, covering thousands of kilometres with ballot papers in hand. We have 95% voting participation here. You just let them know and they'll help you.
1: Lisa Hill's a politics professor at the University of Adelaide in Australia, a place where voting is a party and they'll literally bring the polling station to you
2: gladly. There's nothing they like more than getting your vote. It's not like you have to register as a particular, you know, a Democrat or Republican. There's no ID requirements. It's an honour system. It's it's got very low levels of corruption, Hmm. extremely high levels of trust in the outcome. So you never sort of have contested outcomes because the electoral commissions are so squeaky clean and organised, extremely organised and extremely apolitical as well.
1: You mentioned Australia has 95% turnout. Has it made government work any better?
2: Yeah. For example, in the 90s, there was a terrible massacre, a gun massacre here. One of the most infamous days in Australia's history. Martin Bryant shot dead 35 people at Port Arthur and changed the lives of many others forever. They tightened the laws on gun ownership much more strictly. Yeah. And then they got all the guns out of the system by buying guns back from people and Australians got together and agreed that this was a good idea and they all surrendered their guns.
0: Australia's government confiscated and destroyed nearly
2: 700,000 firearms, reducing the number of gun-owning households by half. Government's responsive and we expect action and we get it. Sounds nice. Because we vote. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Governments are responsive to voters and if everybody's voting, you're going to have a more agile and responsive parliament.
1: And what happens when you don't? What would it look like if Australia had 50% voter turnout?
2: We look like America, mate. (laughs) We don't want that. I'm sorry. I know you love your country. But um, we don't want 50% turnout. We want the poor to vote. We want homeless people to vote. We want Indigenous people to vote. We want people with disabilities to vote. We want everyone to vote.
1: What do you think happens in a democracy when, say, half the people aren't voting? Why is voting so important for the entire population?
2: First of all, whenever you've got turnout that dips below sort of 80, even 90, automatically your turnout will be uneven. It'll just be prosperous people voting. Mm. Homeowners, generally white people, people for whom English is the first language. The worse off you are, the less likely you are to vote in a low turnout election. And we all know the government just directs its attention to voters. So when the poor don't vote... The government just gives tax breaks to the rich and everything else to the rich, and middle-class people as well. So poverty starts becoming trenched. Certain minorities just can't get out of this vicious cycle of government neglect, Then they feel that government neglects them so they don't want to vote. The more apathetic you get, the less likely you are to vote, and everyone gets themselves into a vicious cycle.
1: Sounds like a really good reason to make voting mandatory.
2: It is a good reason to make voting mandatory. It's funny you should mention that, Sean, because voting is mandatory here. This whole time I thought we were
1: talking about sausage sizzles and bringing your swimming trunks to the voting stations and I thought it was just a big party in Australia, but it's totally mandatory too?
2: It's mandatory and a big party night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Coming up on the program, how Australia convinced an entire country it had to vote. And could we do that here in these United States?
0: to learn more and support their cause.
1: When exactly did compulsory voting pass in Australia? How did this happen?
2: It's been mandatory since 1924 in federal elections and earlier than that in state elections. In the 20s, turnout dipped to below 60 we're freaking out (laughs) we thought that is egregious it was debated for 15 minutes that's it in the parliament everyone (laughs) says that sounds like a good idea so we introduced compulsory voting and it shot up 95 in the first election or something like that
1: how did australia react were people upset were people pleased to immediately start voting how did introducing compulsory voting change the voter turnout
2: I think there was a bit of grumbling, but because we had compulsory voting, then we decided we were going to have really well-funded electoral commissions. So we had these electoral commissions that made the elections quite pleasant and easy. We already had the Saturday voting. And then when everyone saw how turnout rose, government responsiveness got better Hmm. and it got more responsive to everybody. People just thought, this is not a bad deal.
1: People have to vote. What happens if they don't vote?
2: You can't make people feel like they're criminals. When they fail to vote, what happens is the Electoral Commission sends you a letter and says, I noticed you didn't vote. And if you send a letter back saying, I was sorry about that, I was sick, it's an honor system. They don't check. You don't have to give a medical certificate or I had an accident. But if you don't respond to their letter, then you get a $20 fine. Hmm. And that actually works. That's enough to make it work. Yeah. I mean, because it's kind of symbolic. It's it's symbolizing that it's, it's the law. If you don't follow up, it doesn't work, but you've got to follow up in a way that's not alienating people and making them feel like they're, they're a criminal. It's not criminal activity, failing to vote, but you do have to vote because we all have to pitch in.
1: What happens if you don't pay that $20 fine?
2: Then it goes up to $50. Uh huh. And then if you, the third fine you don't pay, then you get summons to court. But say so there's people that are exempt, for example, if you're homeless, you're exempt from being required to vote and also you don't get fined. But usually doesn't. People just usually just pay the $20 fine.
1: Is there any chance you could go to jail for not voting in Australia?
2: A couple of people in the past have spent, like, a day in jail. You know, I think that's a bit much myself. That hasn't happened for decades, okay. but it has happened a couple of times. And some people have deliberately got themselves put in jail. That's the thing.
1: You mentioned earlier that, that the government is more responsive in Australia, maybe as a result of compulsory voting, but <laughs> it's not like compulsory voting will fix all your problems, like, like poverty and corruption, right?
2: We've got poverty. We've got corruption but just not as much as you, that's all. <laughs> I mean, I'm very sure if we didn't have mandatory voting here, we'd have turnout levels in the 60s. It's not like we're these awesome super people that are better and nicer than everyone else. But the law has created these norms around civic duty and responsibility. It's just like a nudge. In the same way, like, you're made to wear your seatbelt, you feel that it's paternalism, but in retrospect, after you have a smash, you can see that wasn't a bad idea. Because if, if you ask people how they feel about it, between 70 and 75% of Australians, no matter what's going on, they'll still say that they think compulsory voting is an okay idea. And there's always going to be around 30% that don't like it. But the feeling isn't strong enough to want to get rid of it because people aren't 100% sure they would like the results, I think.
1: Do you think implementing a system like that would work here the way it seems to have worked in Australia in the 1920s?
2: Yes, it would work extremely well and I've written a paper on this and in the paper I've argued and I think I've shown that there's no reason why you couldn't have it because some people say there are constitutional impediments or all kinds of other impediments. You can say that all you like. It's not unconstitutional but there'd be so much resistance because it seems like such an alien idea to people that haven't grown up with it. Your rights culture is more pronounced than ours. We're not so big on our constitutional rights and our individual rights because we're more of a parliamentary culture. It's like it was easier to take guns away from us as well. I think it could work very well in the States, and it would solve so many of the problems you're having there, to be honest. Your problems would be solved if minorities voted, if the poor voted. You know, Not all problems can be solved by voting. Who are we kidding? But a lot of problems would be at least ameliorated if everybody voted.
1: I can see a lot of people, if if the United States federal government, for instance, was to impose compulsory voting, saying... You can't tell me what to do. This is America. The federal government does not tell me where I need to be at any time or day.
2: People always say things like, well, democracy is supposed to be about freedom. It's supposed to be about voluntarism. But, you know, I always say, well, first of all, voluntary activity is not the defining feature of democracy. Self-government is. The people being sovereign. And the people really can't be sovereign if they're not all there. Mm -hmm. And then when they're all there you get these other kinds of freedoms unleashed. Freedom to be treated without discrimination by a government instead of government pork-barrelling and pandering to the well-off. Freedom to have a decent standard of living. Freedom to have free schools. A good example is taxation, which, of course, is quite a big infringement on personal freedom. Sure. Much more so than voting. But we sort of recognise that we need to pay our taxes if we want to go on a road or get anywhere. It's no point in having all your own money if you can't go anywhere, (laughs) you know, and it's not safe. You don't have security or you don't have basic services or jury duty or compulsory school education. These are all far more burdensome impositions on personal autonomy, but most people sort of accept them because they see that there's a collective benefit from it and they couldn't really live a decent life unless they gave up some freedoms and contributed the tax or contributed to the jury system or sent their children to school or whatever. This is how you get democracy to work. I wonder, you
1: know, one thing I feel like compulsory voting wouldn't fix is the fact that a lot of people in this country, and I'm sure that country, don't know a whole lot about their candidates who are running for office, or the positions and platforms of their candidates. Has compulsory voting in Australia done anything to fix or address that?
2: Yeah, it makes people more alert. People actually do know more about their candidates here. And not just here, but in other compulsory voting regimes, so... Living in a compulsory voting regime makes you more politically sophisticated, because they know they're going to have to vote, so they just pick up a lot of incidental information. Jill Shepherd, who's a political scientist here, someone I know, she's done a study that's shown that as well. So it makes you smarter and more informed as well. But the, the, the standards of comportment around elections, I think, are a bit higher here. I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult your country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not really insulted, but somehow I feel like you're not done insulting the United States. But... What other countries have tried compulsory voting? It's not just Australia, is it?
2: No, I mean, the Netherlands had it and they went along very merrily. Then they got rid of it. God knows why. And then I think a lot of people regretted it. Belgium still has it. Costa Rica. Um, Vanuatu and Samoa are just moving to it to fight corruption. There's lots of different places that have had it at various times. But, you know, it's a bit hard to say unless it's sort of enforced – the two best examples would probably be Belgium and the Netherlands, who did enforce it, but they had high levels of satisfaction with it as well. Hmm. You've got to do it a certain way, otherwise you're just going to alienate people. You said the Netherlands had it but then got rid of it. Why would they get rid of it? Oh, they just had a brain fart. I mean, <laughs> there was no good reason. What usually happens is a party on the right gets into power and then they just manoeuvre to get rid of it. It's under threat here all the time by different parties that try and get rid of it. Really? Yes, because they want to control the sort of people that might vote. But here the parties on the right aren't 100% sure it worked for them, but in other places they feel secure that if they got rid of compulsory voting, less poor people would vote, which is true. Hmm. It's not that hard to do if it's not enshrined in the Constitution, which it is isn't here, and I don't think it was there. It's just an act of parliament. But then once you get rid of it, it's very hard to bring back in.
1: Are there any other ideas out there, alternatives to compulsory voting that would increase turnout?
2: Yeah, there's a million things you can do. You can move voting to a Saturday. You can put polling booths in shopping malls. You can give people incentives to vote, although that's constitutional in most states and here too but some american states have tried it like free donuts or a free chiropractic adjustment to vote (laughs) but all the things that i could make a list of to stimulate turnout if you did them all at once you still wouldn't get the same effect that you get just with compulsory voting that's the only thing on its own that can raise turnout into the the 90 plus percentage range and it's the only thing that will keep it there
1: It certainly sounds like a great idea, and it certainly seems like intrinsic to democracy. And yet, so many democracies were built without compulsory voting. Why do you think that is?
2: I don't know. I mean, it's actually a good question. I don't know why, but democracy is crumbling. I mean, look outside your window, mate. (laughs) Yours is really in a bit of a, I'm sorry, it's not in very good shape. And so this is something that can save a democracy. Democracy is not a constitutional form, it's an activity. It's performative, and we all have to perform it because what people forget is to be a real democracy, a true democracy of the people, by the people, for the people, has to be performed by the people, and democracy requires work. Not much work, just a little bit of work. And if everyone does their fair share... You just do it, 10 minutes, off to the beach. That's all there is.
1: A sausage sizzle.
2: A sausage, your bathers. I am swear to God I've got pictures of people in their bathers or in a sarong <laughs> or, you know, it's hilarious. It's something we all have to do so we can all then enjoy the benefits of living in a true democracy. So it's kind of a paradox. You have to give up a little bit of freedom to live in freedom.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Wish us luck today, huh?
2: Good luck. (laughs) You're going to need
1: it. Thanks. Yeah, I I hope there's high voter turnout.
2: I hope there's high turnout. Do you think there will with these elections? The last turnout was 36%, brother, and I don't mean to make fun of you, but that is pretty (laughs) piss-weak. Don't you think?
1: Professor Lisa Hill the piss week turnout she was mocking was from the 2014 midterm election. That was the most recent midterm when I spoke to her in 2018. Her mocking must have worked though, because in 2018, we got the highest voter turnout in a midterm in a century. Here's hoping today brings the highest presidential voter turnout in a century too. I'm Sean Ramosfurham. This is Today Explained. The team includes Will Reed, Amina Al-Sadi, Muj Zaidi, Halima Shah, and Noam Hassenfeld, who contributes music along with the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Extra help this week from Bird Pinkerton. Cecilia Lay checks our facts. Afim Shapiro is our engineer, Golda Arthur is our supervising producer, and Liz Kelly Nelson. Is Vox's editorial director of podcasts. Today, explained is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network.